Hello, and welcome to the Chicago Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Kitley, and I created this platform to have an opportunity to interview women who I look up to and admire, to inspire other women. Telling our stories to one another is how we connect on a deeper level, and knowing there are women who have gone before us and led the way is what gave me hope and motivated me in all aspects of my life. My intention is that it will do the same for you. Today, I have Jenny Doan, an Australian Shiro, who recently shattered the 75-hour Guinness World Record for hula hooping, setting it at 100 hours, and has raised money for one of my favorite organizations, Mental Health America. Thank you so much for being here today, Jenny. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. So I'm seeing you just three weeks post hula hooping, huh? Yeah, it's been a whirlwind. The amount of people that have come out that had either watched it or donated or heard about it in the news has just been staggering. It's been a whirlwind of just a lot of love and just so many positive vibes. And so it, it just feels like it's uh, hasn't been that long at all. <laughs> Well, you know, I I'm, I want to tell listeners how I heard about what was going on. Um, I was just happened to randomly be working at home on Friday, and and NBC Chicago is one of my favorite um, news stations. And I was sitting in front of the computer doing work, and up pops uh, the eleven o'clock news, and I see you hula hooping, and I was following you and um, listening to your story, and you were at a bar. Uh, District Brew Yards, not too far from my house. And I heard that you were raising money for Mental Health America. And um, just this year, I was uh, recognized as the social worker of the year for Mental Health America. And I said, oh my gosh, this is day three of this woman's journey. And having run marathons before myself, I knew that, you know, this was the home stretch for you. And I wanted to come and just honor the work that you were doing and say thank you and um, brought my trophy to kind of inspire you to keep going. So um, I drove right over and I was just so... I wanted to run over and give you a hug, but I, I think I almost did. And they were like, stop, you're going to ruin it. Um, but tell me a little bit about why you decided to do this. And I know you recently moved here from Australia to the Wicker Park area. And yeah. um, just have a go at it. And, and Yeah, I think um, it's really easy to explain what I did. But the how is like years of just random chance encounters ideas, thoughts, like goals. And so for me, the reason I chose mental health um, as my um, chosen charity was because probably about 15 or so years ago, I was in such a dark place. So when I was 12 years old, my sister had passed mm -hmm. and it was just like a very, very like just feeling so down myself. And there were points where, you know, you can't get out of bed and you just feel like you can't do anything. And I think if I were to tell like 14 year old Jenny that you were going to be hula hooping in front of like hundreds, if not thousands of people around the world. Millions, millions yeah. of people. Oh, you'd be on CNN, <laughs> you'd be on people, all these random places. I wouldn't have believed it because I was like starting this journey. The reason I picked a hundred because I knew I could do a hundred. I didn't have a shadow of doubt at all. And it was just an absurd amount of like, I don't know if it's stubbornness or <laughs> determination, but it's just completely different to where I was like as a teenager, not understanding the world at all. And how old are you now? I'm 29. <laughs> um, so this was my bucket list item for when I hit 30. 
So I got in a year early just in case. Um, but I think it was just so big in terms of I proved it to myself and I think there are a lot of people out there that it's hard to have hope. It's hard to have hope, um, especially when, you know, you feel pressure to cheer up and be happy. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a part of you that is still in there. And I think that's what I was trying to bring out in terms of like, you can have some of the worst experiences in your life. And then it's people, it's like resources, it's like therapy, all these things that lift you up and you grow and you become this person that when you were broken, you would never recognize. Mm. And so I think that was such a big part of my life. And so many people helped me like, and it was just like, it's night and day. Um, And so being able to be on that platform, just like the relief of like a hundred hours, all those things, so many things culminating was just like spectacular. Mm. And so while it was uh, kind of strange to stream it online, I wanted as many people at any point to check in. You know, you don't have to live in Chicago to experience something like this. You don't have to like be in the area. You can just chat me. You can like send like a smiley emoji and all those like little things, like people reaching out, it just felt like they were in the room. And so having that, like, like round the clock, like I was in that brewery when it was freezing, when it was dark, when it was full of hundreds of people and it was like a nightclub, <laughs> like all aspects of it, like just the amount of people that you can rally and can get behind you was incredible. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I have the chills and I'm becoming teary-eyed because this is what it's about and this is how we break the silence and the stigma of mm. mental health. And, you know, it's so funny because um, I've been... Uh, in recovery from substance abuse for the past seven years. And my family owns a bar in Chicago. And um, I was like, I said to my husband, I'm heading to the bar. um, It was, it was all these people coming together and sharing stories. And it just breaks down walls to be Mm -hmm. able to say, oh, this happened to me and I feel less alone. And not only was it an emotional and mental challenge, but such a physical challenge as well. And, you know, I came back the next day to watch you finish and I brought my seven-year-old daughter. Um, And in our home, you're known as the hula hoop girl. And, um, you know, my seven-year-old got the hula hoop while we were there and started doing it. And, you know, whatever it is that people are passionate about, I think – to really be able to get behind a cause and to find a passion and to bring people together. I mean, that's the community and you're not even from here. And like all of these connections and friendships you've made. And, um, it's just amazing to me. And, and I remember asking you, um, while you were probably on like hour 76 or something like that, um, right after you had broken the record, like, what do your parents think? And you said, I haven't even told my parents. <laughs> what, what, what's behind that? I mean, did you think they would discourage you from it? Did you want to finish and be able to let them know that you did this and in honor of your sister? And Yeah, so I told them um, 11 days after I finished. <laughs> so I went on Australian morning TV show. So like 4 p.m., like our time, live cast. Um, they work at a, in a business, so they don't always – like they own their own business, which is pretty incredible – Um, So they couldn't watch it then. So I called them 12 hours later, 6 p.m. their time. And I said, all right, um, get dad. He needs to come see this. So I shared my screen and I showed them the Australian footage of me essentially telling them, hey, mom and dad, guess what I did? Um, I showed them the Good Day Chicago news where I was on like in the studio with like news anchors that are just you see them on TV and they don't seem real to you. 
and their eyes were just beaming. Like I saw. They, it they, was something else. They couldn't figure it out. They were like, whoa, <laughs> she's in America and she landed here. Like, I don't know what she's been up to. Um, but I think for me it was I wanted to have a podium finish and have like a like the arms in the air, the victory, and like recovering from all the physical strains after that and just to bring them home such a good story. Mm. Because like I think they they like carried me through like depression for years and I think for them it was tricky because um, their background is Vietnamese where we don't really recognise mental illness or it's just pushed back. And so I think there was a large patch of time where I think they obviously had to go through the loss of losing my older sister, where I think for them it's hard to feel pain, but it's even harder to watch somebody else go through pain. And so I've always been conscious in terms of like whenever I have good news, I want to share it with them in the biggest, like greatest possible way. (laughs) Well, this was pretty huge. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think it's just the gift that I want to keep giving to them because they have an incredible story. They came over on a boat to escape Vietnam and like the journey that they went through is incredible. And I just think whenever I do something that's tough or outrageous or like starting in a new country, like they did that in like 1985 without speaking the language. Oh my god! Like nothing but the clothes on their back. And so I think of all these things where there are certain things that I don't have doubts about anymore because I kind of feel like, you know, the apple didn't fall that far from the tree. In some ways it's a little bit strange, but the bulk of it is like they made me tough. And like when I look at them, I can't think of things that they can't do. And I feel like they think the same of me. And it's such a like even language barrier, like distance, all those things like don't matter. Like at the end of the day, there's just this connection that just the just the light in their eyes and them getting so excited about telling all their friends. <laughs> it's just like it, it's it's like nothing else. <laughs> so so what happens now? Do you is there going to be a picture of you <laughs> in the wor- Guinness World Book record? Yeah. So they have a lot of very rigorous um, requirements to get the record. So while I had two cameras on me with 20 gigs of like data of just streaming me the whole time, they needed witness statements. So for every four hours, I needed two people that I wasn't friends with, no family, no relationship at all. And they had to like watch me hula hoop and like verify what I did, like record all my like breaks and, you know, all that sort of like paperwork stuff. And so finding 50 strangers to give you four hours of their time was like... It was interesting because it was a bar, so I could trick them into drinking. <laughs> um, but for a lot of it, it was like I ended up I've ended up coming back to them because uh, a lot of them I didn't get to talk to because they came in at busy times or I was too out of it. And one by one, I've spoken to them to ask them like, "So why did you do this? Like, mm-hmm. I know why I did it, but um, what what prompted you to come over and do this?" And so they were like, "They either heard it through someone or a friend of a friend or like some people that did like marathons that wanted to see like out of curiosity." Um, some mental health advocates and therapists. Um, and so all of them coming together, we've had many, many drinks together and <laughs> coffee and all sorts of just like, just beautiful conversations since. Um, but yeah, basically getting all that documentation, anything else that's interesting to the to the whole record. So I upload it to the website and I send it to them on a little um, SD card and then someone has to verify on the other side. So I don't know if that means somebody watching 100 hours or fast forwarding. 
Uh, but they go through that process and then they give it a yay or nay if it's a record or not. Unbelievable. Well, and you know, I posted a picture of you um, while you were in action and people were messaging me saying, "How did, did she sleep? Did she go to the bathroom? Did she eat? I mean, this was the question. And I saw this blow up mattress behind mm-hmm. you that I know, if I remember correctly, it was like for every hour of hooling mm-hmm. you got five minutes five minutes <laughs> to eat or sleep or yeah. go to the bathroom so pretty much anything that I can do standing I will so I was eating and drinking while standing brushing my teeth while standing washing my face like just all these normal people things um, but then I was banking up my sleep so that I ended up getting in total about four hours of naps so 20 to 40 minutes long in like segments and then I had 10 five-minute, like, micro-naps <laughs> towards the end. And then two and a half hours of, like, general stretching bathroom breaks, um, just sitting down <laughs> and stretching my legs. I had a foam roller that I used, like, every break for the first maybe 30 or 40 hours. And then after that, I wasn't getting anywhere near that close to the ground. Oh it just wasn't gosh. happening. And so then it was just, like, a, a combination of my housemates coming in. So towards the end, you can see when... I'm so dead that they hold me by my like hands, sit me down, then plop me over, and I just I'm KO'd. I'm not moving straight into deep sleep. Thirty seconds until my break is over, they spin my legs around, they put me on my feet. I sort of walk around to figure out where I am, and then just start going again. And these housemates were people <laughs> that you met on Craigslist. Yes. <laughs> so uh, yeah, coming to a new city, especially in America, where it's like you need a social security number, you need a credit check, you need all these things. And I don't have any of these things when you first sign up. <laughs> You're like, I kind of just got here and I'm extremely jet lagged. And so I was like, I don't really want to live by myself. I want to live with people that are going to show me the ropes. They're going to have friends that I can like, like that can show me stuff. Like, where do you go on like July 4th? Like, what what is that? And so there was just those experiences where it's like, you eat hot dogs, you eat hamburgers, you watch Jaws, and then... There'll be fireworks everywhere. Like I thought there'd be like a handful of fireworks for like an hour, but it's just like every street around you. Like we were just in deck chairs looking at this like the sky in like a summy mm. like summery evening, just watching and listening to fireworks going off. And it didn't make any sense to me, but it was just such a genuine experience that like there's just this sort of camaraderie in Chicago where everyone's from elsewhere. So they know what it's like to be there, brand new, not know anyone. So people just invite you places or you just ask them, like, where do you go for good barbecue? What's the best donut in town? And you just get so much, like, energy back. And it's just, like, for a big city that, like, I was worried it was going to be really pushy and shovey, like New York or something mm-hmm. like that. But I found Chicago to just be, like, very welcoming. And anything you want to do or want to try out somebody is doing it. I love it. I, you know, I, I'm biased because I grew up in Chicago, but um, I hear that a lot. And I think there is just a solid foundation among the people here that do want to connect genuinely. And, you know, there's so many different neighborhoods. You you landed yourself in the right place. Um, are you here on a, a work visa? I know you work for Uber Freight, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So um, it's, I'm pretty fortunate in terms of Australia and the U.S. having some pretty, like, friendly um, work visa scenarios. Um, so I was working in rideshare in Perth and then switched over to freight in April. And so I've got like a two-year visa, but it's quite easy to renew in terms of it's like a specialty op- uh, occupation. Okay. Um, and so I think with Uber being so new in terms of like 
they're looking for people like me and I just happen to have been there. And so I feel like they can pretty much take you around the world. Like most of my colleagues in Perth, we've got some in Mexico City, Amsterdam, Dubai, like San Francisco, Sydney. Oh, like, great cities. Yeah, everyone <laughs> has just gone very, very far. Mm. And so I think there's that opportunistic component where like you're going to have this wonderful experience wherever you go. So just go for it, take the risk and it'll pay off because like there's just so many people that are interested in this sort of stuff. Because if it was easy, then anyone could do it. Gosh, and you're so young. I mean, to have seen so much of the world through your eyes and your experiences. um, What's next? Like, where do you go from here? You know, like, is there, is, what other sports do you enjoy? I know you were a cyclist, right? Yeah. So there was a while where it was probably a similar vein of escapism, like plus obsession where (laughs) I was working and I I think I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of my job at the time, but I'd moved back in with my parents for a while and I just had all this money saved up and I was like, I'm going to go run my bicycle. <laughs> so I did that for like like 30 countries where I just got on my bike and just went. Where, 30 countries? Yeah, so I did it in a <sighs> few different segments. There was four different trips um, adding up to about 12 months of cycling where each like day was like, you have to get from point A to point B, and then you add all those up, and you've crossed the continent. Oh my gosh! So I have a weird fascination with things that are very, very endurance or very like singular focus sort of thing. Where I would just be in the middle of like nowhere on my bicycle mm. with no music, nothing, just on my bicycle. Talk about mindfulness. I mean, and just being present and in the moment, and especially with any kind of mental health issues. Um, I am a firm believer in a holistic approach. And so it's body, mind, and soul. Mm -hmm. And so looking at that outlet as a way to connect is just fascinating and very healing. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you mind if I ask, did your sister pass away from any mental health-related issues? No, so there was just like a very shock-like incident. So she was 15 at the time, um, and I was 12. My younger brother was 9, and it was just unexpected. She just collapsed. And so... In our family, we didn't have any history of stroke or heart attack or anything, or any of those mm-hmm. issues, and that was assumed to be one of the causes. But there was no like, yeah, when no, no one saw it coming, essentially, it was just like at one moment it just happened, and then all of our lives just changed. Wow! And at such a young age as yeah, well. Yeah, I think there was a degree of like you kind of understand, but you don't quite. Sure. And I think with my parents, they wanted so um, so much just to be strong. And to, like, not fall down. And I think, especially in a Vietnamese household, the oldest child is typically the bridge between the children and the parents. Um. And so that bridge sort of just falling, like, right in the middle. We had this sort of, like, silo sort of scenario where we all sort of dealt with our pain in our own, like, little clusters. Mm -hmm. And I think at the time, I think there was so much resentment and so much anger, but then they had experienced, like, devastating loss themselves. And so it's hard to reconcile those two aspects because there's nothing that anyone can do or say to make it better. You just have to learn like your life that that's just something that's happened and you'll grow and you'll get stronger. You'll meet new people and all these things that will, that will never fill the void, but you just recognize it from time to time. And then all of the love and all the other things that have come into your life. Mm. And so while I was hula hooping, I had the pillowcase that she made me when she had her like sewing class in she would have been 14 when she gave it to me. 
And I just have that pillowcase. It's just like a white one with a little trim on the side. <laughs> but it was just like one of those things where when you move around a lot, you have some things with tremendous amounts of sentimental value. And that's just one of those things that will forever be in my possession. Mm. You are a beautiful human being. <laughs> um, do you have any kind of spirituality or religion or power greater than yourself? Um, no. So while I was um, in high school and primary school, we went to Catholic education schools. Mm -hmm. uh, Me but too. my parents, <laughs> which is yeah. why we probably don't follow that path very well. So, so my parents uh, um, follow Buddhism. Um, so my dad has meditated for an hour every single day since as long as I can remember in his little like shrine, I suppose. Mm. Um, and then they always had the mentality of like, I'm never going to choose a like religion for you when you're good and ready. You can pick that whether it's today, tomorrow, or like 50 years from now. I love that. And so they just had that very open-minded view of you can believe something and you can change your mind. Like that's, you know, you don't have to stick with it forever. And so I think for me, um, I got aspects of their sort of Buddhism sort of beliefs because we went to temple and all that sort of thing. Um, but the thing they always got out of it was just the community element that mm. I can fully understand why people get into religion. <laughs> there are so many times when we'd go, they'd have a big feast and you'd have a production line of like 50 people making spring rolls. <laughs> just like all these things where it's like people got together and they did this thing. In solidarity. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And so th and the food is incredible. So that also helps. <laughs> um, but I think it was just like so many people getting together for a, for a cause. Um, but then I don't particularly follow religion. I try and do good by others and friends and whatnot. Um, but so then, more like core values yeah. or pillars of how you live your life. But then mm -hmm. I also feel at the same time like... I've had a lot of very fortunate things in my life. Like, for a lot of the things that I did, people would say that you're not safe to do some of these things. So, like, traveling alone in foreign mm -hmm. countries. That was, like, the big one where it was, like, it's not safe out there or, like, oh, if you do so much cycling, you're going to have legs as big as tree trunks where it's, like, what? <laughs> <Okay>. The naysayers, <laughs> yeah. huh? And so I think for me it was, like, well, I'm going to get on my bike. Like, bad things could happen, like, yeah, you get flat tires, you get lost. You will have an entire day of just rain and your shoes will be saturated for like three, four days in a row. <laughs> but then, No big deal. Yeah, you're like, well, that just comes with the territory. You mm -hmm. either cycle or you don't. So you just, everything is like a, a series of decisions, I suppose. And so for a lot of that, there was like a degree of, I was very fortunate in terms of I'd met other cyclists that either had to like finish short on a trip or got injured or other things. And I kind of just like, somehow snuck through <laughs> without too much damage. Um, but I think it's like there's a degree of like good things, bad things in the world. You sort of accept it as you go. But I've always felt that things were going to be okay having weathered stuff earlier on where it was like I know what the rock bottom feels like. Mm -hmm. And so I think from there, like at the time, the thing that like hurt me the most was that I didn't have the power to do anything about it where like either it was because I was too young to understand or I was so miserable going to school, but I had to go to school and pretend to be like the happy child that all the other children were. Mm -hmm. And there was just that degree of like, there's nothing I can do about this and it just hurts all the time. And so I think coming into adulthood and realizing that like you can change jobs, you can change apartments, houses, like you don't have to, like you have other friends. Whereas, you know, back in school, I thought, I have to put on this facade or they don't want to, people don't want to see depression. I have mm -hmm. to bottle that up 
or they're not going to talk to me anymore. So there were all these elements where you force yourself to do things that make you unhappy because you don't think that there's another way. Mm-hmm. And so I think as an adult, I found that like getting back into therapy, like I found that really, really <laughs> jarring because I'd gone out, I did a bunch of stuff. I'd cycled to like 30 countries. I come back, I get this job at Uber and every day I walk like from the bus to my work, I go past the psych ward that I got checked into when I was like 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's just literally over the fence. Like if I walked up to the like window, I would have been on the other side of that window. And then that's when I, I sort of started realizing that while I was doing all the therapy, it was to get me like functioning, to get me from like, dark to just get up and function as a human being but then there were so many things that I didn't address like how do you talk to your mum and dad now we still had the silos we still had the walls we still had that defensive like I don't want you to see me vulnerable and vice versa so everything was very surface there's no shortage of love but just no ability at all mm-hmm. to connect and so I went back to the psych- <laughs> the psychologist that I'd seen every single week for like three four years and I was like, hey, how's it going? <laughs> Got room for one more? <laughs> Do you remember me? I'm like, she's like, yes, I definitely remember you. <laughs> so you uh, wanted to do some deeper work then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I described it to her as like, I've kept everyone at arm's um, like reach because I want to be tough and I want to be strong. So like when somebody broke up with me after like, you know, two years, I was like, Psh, I didn't need that guy anyway. But that was just the shell because it hurt so bad underneath, but I didn't want to show weakness. Mm. And, you know, I have amazing friends that are strong. They're awesome. They're incredible. They're generous. They would never turn me away. But in my mind, I was so fixed on that. And I described it to my psychologist as opening up to them with real emotions to me was like driving into like a brick wall. Like all of my reflexes are telling me, turn away, look away, don't do it. And then I had to like retrain that. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it was kind of like, there are so many things you're raised with but then you can work through them to become the person you actually want to be. You don't have to be that person. And so she um, loaned me some books about like attachment theory and (laughs) like just getting into the nitty gritty of it where it's like there are parents that can love their children immensely, but just literally not know how to show it. And so understanding them as people, because like their upbringings were very, very difficult in Vietnam. Like the things that they had to go through and Mm. it's, it's, I can only imagine it's immense. And then I just learned that, if you want to connect with them, you show vulnerability and then they'll show vulnerability. <laughs> and then you just become two halves that just face each other and it just, it makes sense. And that's what I always felt like I was missing. Like my greatest fear in life wasn't necessarily failure or any of that. It was to not be understood. And then I felt like they've seen me in so many like different lights now, like as raw as I can be, like, mm. No walls up, no shield, no like facade. Isn't that freeing? Yeah. And it was just like, and the same with all my friends, like starting from Chicago, like I had it in my mind, like be your true self. There's people don't know you. So you may as well start with a clean slate. And a lot of like, like hard trials, like brought that up much more quickly. So at work we had in the first two months, we had um, an active shooter, like scare in our workplace. And so we thought that we were all going to get, like, gunned down. And so we were in the bathrooms, like, basically barricading ourselves, thinking, like, what is this going to be? Like, what is the end of this day going to be? And I remember afterwards, like, we, when, it, when we found out it wasn't, it wasn't real, it was a drill gone horribly wrong, 
Um, but so scary. Yeah. I mean, like for half an hour, you're not sure like who, where, what is going to mm-hmm. happen to you. Um, so as a work group, we just drank because we didn't know how else to deal with it. But when I got home, I just bawled my eyes out and my um, housemates were on the couch and I just told them what happened and they listened and they were just like, it, it sucks that you went through that. I'm so sorry if there's anything I can do. Like I took a day f- like home from work the next day and my housemate, he made me like eggs hollandaise and like a just a very hearty like beautiful breakfast and it was just like there's nothing we can do to like I don't know what to say to this like it's it's fine but like we're here for you and like you're safe and you're okay and you know you've got this Mm -hmm. and I think like the amount of growth that you have with someone when you go through like tough stuff just just solidifies everything because there are so many people that are like how did you convince your housemates to do this like how did you convince them to spend like four days in a brewery like they slept overnight there they took shifts like they're <laughs> running around them. they're wonderful too <laughs> and I was like I didn't I didn't convince them they kind of just did it yeah um, they showed up and I think that that is a huge piece of what you're talking about is oftentimes we don't know what to say in trauma related situations or grief or loss mm-hmm. but a lot of times it's just being there and being present and mm-hmm. you know a lot of times we have a hope that other people will behave the way we want them to. And what you're speaking about is we show people how to mm-hmm. treat us. And if I can open up to you, then the likelihood is that you're going to open up to me too. Mm-hmm. And so that's where the real connection happens. And it's scary, but if somebody takes a risk, yeah. it does break that wall down. And yeah. um, when you were talking about, you know, the, the, inside hurting and the outside being Mm -hmm. um, this happy person to project into the community that you were in at school. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people can relate to that. And Mm -hmm. um, we have a saying in in recovery about our insides wanting to match our outsides. So a lot of times we're comparing ourselves to other people Mm -hmm. by the outside, but we have no idea what's going Mm -hmm. on for them internally. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the time you want to be something and then there's that disconnect between what you really want and feel versus what you expect or you think others expect of you. And I think, I don't know if it's just one of those things where when you're really young and you want to be like, have all these milestones ticked off and you have that frantic, like almost like just like hectic race to tick off all these things. And then you realize like, you don't really want those things or that, did it mean anything to you? Or you was, hoped that it would make you feel a certain way and it didn't, yeah. I think, is sometimes what people like experience. banking on a certain milestone, like, correcting everything or, mm-hmm. like, making me feel validated. But it's all the stuff on the inside that had to get worked on first that unravels. And I, I think it was just the, the depth of things that you could dive into is just incredible to me mm-hmm. in terms of, like, you have these interactions and they're parts of your day which seem innocuous or... You know, just here and there, you don't have a second thought. But then when you dig into, like, the reasons why you are the way you are and where that came from, there's so much that can improve your life just in terms of, like, your interactions or, like, thinking about your your biases or your fears and all these other things. And I think digging into that and just learning about yourself and then you can give so much more. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway I had from going into therapy in terms of, like, it's not, like 
I think it's like the old armchair thing where it's like people expect it's going to be like that, <laughs> but it's just like having someone talk to you honestly. And when you try and turn away and get away from things that are uncomfortable, you know, mm-hmm. those are the things that you need to address. <laughs> well, um, I say I wish it were a life prerequisite that everybody engage in a year of therapy because we'd all be more insightful and self-aware yeah. and um, have an idea on how to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. Jenny, this has been such a pleasure. And I'm so grateful that um, we serendipitously had this. <laughs> opportunity to um for me to one become aware of you and then two to continue this conversation outside of the bar and uh, (laughs) in Hubbard's studio so thank you so much I know you're going back to Australia for the month of January and I'm sure your family is just going to embrace you and um any last closing remarks that um we didn't touch on no I think you might have covered all of them it's uh (laughs) yeah it's bringing everything together has just been just it's so exciting, like just feeling all these good vibes from so many different people. Like, uh, like I really hope this message gets out there and, you know, people connect with it in whatever way, shape or form suits them. But I think it's just, yeah, I'm grateful for the opportunity to share like just a different element, something that's a bit strange, a, different, a little bit wacky, but ultimately just getting stories out there that just challenge what you think is, you know, the status quo. And at any age. I mean, I've seen you affect people as young as my daughter, who's seven, up to people in their 70s. So um, we're never too old to try to accomplish a goal or to make a change or a difference in the world. And we're never too young to do that either. So thank you. Thank you so much. Be who you needed when you were younger. Be your own Shiro. Now go out there and wreak havoc on this world. Have a great day.